hello, everyone. Uh, this is a special uh, episode of the Snipe and Selly podcast. Um, a little bit different than a normal episode, but we are FTF Media's guide to anything and everything happening on the ice. I am your host, Mark, and I am joined this week by not only my regular line mates, but also a special guest. I'll introduce them here in a moment. Um, but as we referenced on our last episode, we did want to spend uh, you know, an entire episode tackling the really uh, horrific events um, in Chicago over the past, well, really from 11 years ago, but as was initially reported back in June, and then the findings of the investigation detailed last week into the sexual abuse scandal uh, within the Chicago Blackhawks organization. So we will be discussing uh, you know, the, the facts of that case in this episode. Uh, we'd like to you know, put a trigger warning on this episode in advance before we get started that this will detail you know, the uh, sexual abuse uh, and you know, some disturbing content. So if that is something that you're not comfortable listening to, we completely understand. Uh, we will see you next week for a, uh, you know, a, another episode talking about the, the world of hockey, but we do believe it's important for us to discuss cases like these because they are a part of hockey culture that exists and something that needs to be eradicated within the sport that we love. So again, I am your host, Mark, and I am joined by my line mates, Mike, Lauren, Haley is off this week. Uh, but we are joined by a special guest, Gabby, who has been on the show before. Uh, Gabby, how are you to that? How are you tonight? And uh, just in general? Um, well, tonight I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. I mean, overall, um, when it comes to this particular topic, I am not doing well at all. Um, I'm struggling with this, but I'm doing better since the report came out. But Overall, I'm not doing well with this topic, but thank you for having me. If anyone is newer to our show and didn't hear the, the episode that we did the last time that uh, when, when this story first broke, we did do an entire episode, uh, although not as many details were available at that point. Um, Gabby did join us. She is a, a lifelong Chicago Blackhawks fan, so obviously... Uh, this story is hitting you know, close to home for her and seeing this about uh, this story develop regarding a team that she loves so much is, uh, is you know, tough to swallow. So thank you, Gabby, for, for joining us and agreeing to talk about something like this. Um, Lauren, how are you this evening? I'm good, given you know, the circumstances of what we are about to talk about. Um, you know, overall, it's a very disheartening story. And I'm glad we're able to discuss it. I'm glad we let it not so much settle, but I'm glad that, you know, we are able to dedicate an episode to this. And I'm excited that Gabs can join us because she had great insight in, over the summer when this kind of first came to light. Absolutely. Yeah, very happy that Gabby can share some of her insight um, and her feelings on this story as well. Thank you, Lauren. Um, and Mike, my friend, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I just echo the sentiments of my line mates that I think this is a very important topic. I'm glad that we're going to be able to discuss it and sort of just process it together. And then also with our listeners as well, uh, because it is a very important thing to get out in the open and talk about. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I concur completely. Uh, so stay tuned with us over the next hour or so to hear our thoughts on what's been going on around the National Hockey League and the hockey world as a whole since the last time we all got together. And obviously for the sake of this episode, um, it is this story in particular. And so without further delay, let's drop the puck for our opening face-off. Um, so before we get into the, you know, the meat and potatoes of our episode, I did want to go around to each of my line mates and see if they had an opening face-off topic. If you don't this week and you, you know, your focus is completely on the subject at hand, that's fine. But I wanted to go around to see if anyone had any opening thoughts for us. So Lauren, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, a lot has happened on the internet in the last you know, 10 days, two weeks or so. And if we all just learn to talk to one another as human beings and stop taking everything as an attack or criticism, we would be able to accomplish so much more. Um, and I think that's important for you know stories like tonight. I think that's important for really heavy topics throughout life. Um, I just saw so much over the last two weeks on Twitter, on Facebook, on every social media, people just being like, uh, just rude to one another for no, like, just because they feel they're being attacked. And it's like, just talk to people like human beings, be nicer and go in, like, you know, understand where they're coming from. Stop trying to project everything onto one another because that gets you nowhere. So if everyone can just be a little bit kinder, a little more patient, being able to have tough discussions, not that they're easy, but you know, you'll be able to get a deeper understanding from both sides. Yeah, that's very well said, Laura, and I agree completely. As a general rule of thumb for keeping my sanity on the internet, I have barred myself from getting into any arguments. And usually that is related to you know, very silly, trivial stuff like someone calls Tom Brady a cheater. And I, like, I, I don't engage with, with, with someone on something like that. But it also extends to deeper topics like you're talking about, you know, if if someone is going to uh, to take a, a you know a significant stance on something that I don't agree with, it's better for both parties that I don't engage because you dig yourself, uh, in, you know, someone digs their heels in, uh, like you said, Lauren. People think it's an attack and they want to attack back, and it's just you know if you can just find a way to have a conversation with someone that doesn't have to turn heated, it uh, you know things will definitely go a lot better. So yeah, I. I online discourse has become very difficult. And so I try to avoid confrontation of any kind because it, uh, it never ends well. Um, Mike, how about yourself? Uh, any uh, opening face off, any opening thoughts for you? I thought, I think that was great. And I think it's a really important message uh, just to have whatever type of empathy you can for other people who you're dealing with. I think a lot of what I'm gonna concentrate on in this particular episode has to do with that and just understanding what people are going through at any given moment. And, you know, it could be something that you have no idea about. And, you know, so even if it's someone who you're getting into it with online, or if it's a teammate in the NHL, you don't know what that person is going through or how that is affecting them. So just be mindful of that. Absolutely. Very well said. Uh, just, just like Lauren, um, you know, just let's have some empathy for our fellow human beings. And, uh, and you know, I, I always say my favorite book growing up was walk two moons, uh, you know, walk two moons in someone else's moccasins. Um, you know, it's always helpful to, uh, to think that way. Um, Gabby, how about uh, yourself? Uh, any opening thoughts before we get this episode kicked off? Hey, 
definitely agree with all of you guys. <laughs> um, sorry. Mike said something in the chat that had me cracking up. It had nothing to do with what you guys were saying. Um, but I wholeheartedly agree. Just the current climate on the internet is pretty toxic at the moment, and it doesn't make it fun for a lot of people. It seems like to me, we're not allowed to have disagreements anymore because as soon as you disagree with somebody, you immediately get attacked and someone has to dox you and find all your personal information and try to attack you in that way just because you don't agree with something that they said. And it's pretty ridiculous in my opinion because before social media, you were allowed to respectfully disagree with people. And most of the time they would say like, okay, well, you're entitled to your opinion. But now it seems like once you disagree with someone, they call you an idiot, they'll call you a bad name, they'll say something insulting to you or your family, and it just becomes toxic and it, it's hurtful. So I definitely agree with you guys and I, I just encourage empathy, even sympathy, just be kind. It's not that hard to just be nice to somebody, just say have a nice day and people will feel a lot better. Um, and then aside from that, I just want to say I'm very happy for Jack Eichel for getting out of his shit situation in Buffalo. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to swear, but it is what it is. We're going to call it that because it's it was a horrible situation and I feel like he's going to have a better life because of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to touch on that as well, uh, Gabby, for my opening face off is, um, you know, and I'm sure we'll be able to discuss it uh, in more depth next week as well. But, uh, you know, just congratulations to Jack Eichel on being traded from the Buffalo Sabres to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. More importantly, congratulations to Jack Eichel for actually being able to, you know, this is usually not a term used uh, when uh, referring to men, but uh, having control over his own body again. Um, you know, he was not allowed to have uh, the surgical procedure that, uh, that he preferred um, when he was a member of the Buffalo Sabres. He's now going to have surgery. Um, he's going to be able to be in control of his own health moving forward. So we look forward to seeing Jack back on the ice, maybe in March or April, it seems like the initial timetable has been discussed. But yeah, congratulations to Jack on multiple fronts, getting out of a, a dumpster fire um, in, in Buffalo. Uh, going to a fantastic organization, uh, albeit a young one in the Las Vegas Golden Knights, and being able to uh, you know, be in control of his own health moving forward and his own career moving forward. So uh, a, someone who, for personal reasons, I am very invested in, um, very excited to see Jack thrive moving forward. Um, but with that being said, I did want to uh, move into the purpose of uh, tonight's episode, and that is discussing the, um, the latest developments with this Chicago Blackhawks sexual abuse scandal. And this is going to be, you know, more of a free flowing discussion as opposed to, you know, kind of, you know, going from point to point. But I did want to start off our discussion with just in case any of our listeners, you know, they've they've heard of the of, of the story. Maybe they are a little fuzzy on some of the details. Maybe they, they forgot. Maybe they've just been following very loosely. So I did want to go through a, a timeline of the events. Um, in uh, this story. So 
So to get us started here, basically the, the timeline of events, it really gets started in May of 2021. So May of this year, only about uh, you know five and a half months ago, that is when Brad Aldrich, the former video coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, was accused of sexual assault by, at the time, two unnamed players uh, from that, uh, that Blackhawks team. In the months since then, uh, we've obviously learned a lot more, and we'll go into that uh, later. But um, Rick Westhead of TSN, who has been just an absolute godsend uh, when it comes to reporting on this story, uh, he was actually one of the first reporters to break the story initially. So not only was he one of the first, he's one of the only reporters who actually kept going and kept digging and continues to keep digging and has been, quite frankly, a little bit ostracized by the National Hockey League uh, due, uh, due to this fact. Um, and they've tried to avoid having him ask questions at uh, press conferences as a result. But he was one of the first to report um, that a unnamed player uh, was uh, allegedly sexually assaulted by uh, Brad Aldrich during the 2010 Stanley Cup playoff run. Um, the event uh, itself, the incident itself, occurred in May of 2010 during the uh, Blackhawks Western Conference Final Series and before the team ultimately defeated the Philadelphia Flyers in six games to win the Stanley Cup. Um, the report also claimed that uh, this player, um, it was later referred to as John Doe, he went to the team's mental skills coach, James Gary, who basically dismissed this claim out of hand. Um, he said that, um, you know, whatever texts he got, whatever, uh, you know, encounter he had, uh, he allowed to happen essentially, and uh, he, bear, he would bear the responsibility for it. So basically dismissed um, you know, John Doe's claim completely right away, did not want to be bothered with it. Someone who did want to be, uh, you know, did want to actually do something about this was um, the, the former um, skills coach, uh, Paul Vincent, uh, who decided that he was going to, uh, to go to bat for John Doe. Um, this happened uh, in June of 2010, but shortly before that, um, we saw, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm breaking the, the timeline here. Uh, in June 1st of this year, um, an unnamed high school hockey player sued the Blackhawks for allegedly giving um, Aldrich a positive reference letter after he left the organization. So that happened in June of this year. So we're kind of going back to, uh, to the present timeline. In June, uh, also in June of this year, a report surfaced that detailed the allegations of, uh, of the case itself and uh, allegations that uh, the Chicago Blackhawks refused to file a police report once um, this complaint was brought to the organization. Uh, so in this report, that's when we first got our mention of the actual names involved, uh, General Manager Stan Bowman, Team President John McDonough, VP of Ho Hockey Operations Al McIsaac, Skills Coast, uh, Coach Paul Vincent, who was the only member of the organization who seemed interested at the time at, of actually helping John Doe, and then Mental Skills Coach, um, uh, uh, Gary, uh, who uh, you know, was the one who basically dismissed this claim out of hand. Uh, they met to discuss these allegations. Uh, and so when Vincent, uh, when Paul Vincent spoke with TSN, he alleged that uh, his request to contact the Chicago police had been denied by the team. So basically, they didn't want to file a police report. 
did not want to pursue this, uh, this matter further. Finally, on June 28th of this year, that is when the Blackhawks announced the launch of an independent investigation into the 2010 incident. And of course, when this was announced, a lot of people kind of rolled their eyes. They you know, kind of say, okay, independent investigations, those usually go nowhere. They're sanctioning this. What's actually going to be found? As we have recently found out, this was uh, a legitimate investigation. This was done by the Chicago-based law firm Jenner and Block. And uh, they investigated, they contacted about 139 witnesses and, uh, and have gotten a lot of uh, detail that have uh, advanced this, this case quite a bit. But during this time that the investigation was announced, allegations came to light that Aldrich's activities were basically, quote unquote, an open secret within the Blackhawks organization. This was well known and nothing had been done about it, despite the fact that he had left the team uh, following 2010 um, Stanley Cup run. Finally, September of this year, the Chicago Blackhawks, and this was a story that we did not cover because it was during our hiatus um, and has been largely dismissed or not covered in general. But in September of this year, the Chicago Blackhawks filed uh, amended motions to dismiss these lawsuits. So the lawsuits that were introduced in June the Blackhawks tried to get these dismissed. Um, the, those, those, were, uh, those requests were denied. And as of right now, the, the lawsuits are still ongoing. Later uh, in September, um, again, just uh, about a month and a half ago, Miami University of Ohio um, was found to be unaware of the, uh, of the Aldrich allegations when they, hired, uh, when they hired him back in 2012. So following his departure from the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, Aldrich uh, joined the University of Miami, uh, Miami University of Ohio, uh, their hockey staff. Um, they were cleared of knowing of his allegations during his, it ended up being a very brief stay that he was there, only about five months. And um, they were found to, not, uh, to you know, not know of these allegations whatsoever. But uh, following, following his time with Miami University of Ohio is when he went to go work at a high school in Michigan where he allegedly assaulted a uh, teenage boy. Finally, we fast forward to about a week ago, which is when uh, the report, the findings from uh, the Block and Jenner um, investigation were about to be announced and come to light. The Chicago Blackhawks were fined $2 million and GM Stan Bowman uh, suddenly resigned. And uh, you know, the, shortly after that is when our 107 page report on the findings came out. Um, so Al McIsaac and uh, Stan Bowman were both, uh, they were the final two members of the organization who were, uh, were still there. Uh, they, they were no longer with the team as of that day. And the uh, NHL fined the Blackhawks $2 million as mentioned before. At this point, that's when you know members of the organization who had since gone to other clubs uh, became the focus. Since uh, McIsaac and um, Bowman were no longer with the organization, the you know attention focused over to uh, Joel Quenville, who was the coach of uh, multiple Stanley Cup winning teams in Chicago, who was the coach of the Florida Panthers. Uh, Kevin Cheveldayoff, uh, I cannot pronounce his name. I think it's Cheveldayoff. Uh, he 
What's that, Gabs? Shovel day off. Shovel day off. Okay. Um, so he is currently the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, uh, other, other members uh, who were with the organization, like Mark Bergevin, who is currently the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the focus shifted to them. Um, and in the days since then, um, and around the time that we recorded our last episode, that is when uh, Joel Quenville was allowed to, for some reason, was allowed to coach a game against the Boston Bruins. Uh, was, uh, he met with Gary Bettman the next day and uh, wound up resigning uh, for, as coach of the Florida Panthers. Shortly after that, um, Chevelle, uh, Chevelle Dayoff um, met with, uh, uh, with Gary Bettman and at that point was apparently cleared of any wrongdoing um, from his time with the Blackhawks. He did hold a press conference with uh, Winnipeg Jets owner Mark Chipman, uh, at which point he, in my opinion, said a lot of words to really say nothing and uh, expressed sorrow for uh, for John Doe, who uh, was identified uh, as Kyle Beach. I skipped over that a little bit, um, but uh, Kyle Beach came forward as John Doe um, in the, the days following the, uh, the investigation. Um, I'm hoping, again, I mentioned this uh, on our last episode, I'm hoping that Kyle Beach did, was not prompted in any way to come forward due to the fact that uh, the investigation, the facts of the investigation that were made public made it very easy to narrow down who John Doe could be. Um, you know, he's identified as a 20-year-old black ace during that playoff run. Based on a couple minutes of research, you could determine that it was one of two players, one of them being Kyle Beach. Regardless, he had a very emotional, about a 28-minute interview with Rick Westhead, where um, he was able to tell his story finally after 11 years. Um, but uh, essentially, that is that's where we we wind up. You know, the the, the most recent activity was the fact that um, that um, basically, um, you know, Kevin Chevelle uh, Dayoff. Um, I can never say that um, three times fast. Uh, was cleared to have uh, you know, no responsibility in this incident, and he will not be resigning his post with the Winnipeg Jets and. The only other thing that's happened more recently was a, in my opinion, disaster of a press conference from Gary Bettman, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. But so I broke the timeline a little bit a couple times there tra trying to get everything in order. But those are basically the facts of the case um, as, as we know them. Obviously, we'll get into some more detail here, but I wanted to, uh, to kind of open the, the floor up to all of my line mates and just say, based on all we know, and maybe some other things that I did not bring up, what are your, your general feelings on this case? What has impacted you the most? Uh, you know, what do you hope emerges out of this? So, you know, I, I threw a lot out there. Uh, so, you know, um, you know, Gabby, we'll, we'll start with you first being our guest, you know, what emotions do the, does the facts of this case bring up for you? Um, Honestly, it brings up a lot. Um, it's heartbreaking and my heart shattered into a million pieces when I saw the interview with Rick Westhead. Um, I sat there and I sobbed like a baby. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, I 
can relate to Kyle Beach in a similar way. I was not involved in a situation where it involved um, a coach, but it involved someone I knew, someone who I thought was going to protect me. And <clears throat> this case really opens up a lot about abuse, sexual assault, and it even kind of highlights the gay community as well, because Brad Aldrich may or may not identify as gay. And I think that this case can kind of, it doesn't help um, any negative connotations that heterosexual people have about the homosexual community, because you see someone like Brad Aldrich who may be gay or he may be bisexual, and the way that he preys on straight men who we believe are straight, I don't know if they are or not. And if they're not, then that's nobody's business. But the way he preys on men does not give a lot of support to the gay community. I think it, um, it doesn't help them at all. And I always, I always like to educate people um, that gay people just don't seek out straight guys and go and hit on them. That's just not what they do. They don't try to like go force themselves upon straight people. Um, I have a lot of gay friends and they don't do that. They don't just seek people out and then hit on them. Um, and for those who do, they're predators. Um, and I think that this case also like I mentioned, highlights a lot about sexual assault, that it doesn't just happen to women. It doesn't happen to um, girls. It happens to men as well. It happens to boys. It happens to teenagers and kids and grown adults. And it's really sad that just because he's a man, we always have to raise a question like, well, he must have been lying. There's no way that uh, he can allow a man to sexually assault him. Or the other classic question is, well, he might be gay if he allowed that to happen. And neither one of those should be the two questions that you ask when you see a sexual assault case involving a male. Because, um, you know, if you read the report, you can understand exactly why this happened. Um, and if, you have the stomach to read the report. It's, it, it says it's 107 pages, but I would say it's more like 80. A lot of the pages at the end are um, like resources and citations. So it, it goes fast, but it's also incredibly graphic. I also cried when I read the report. Um, and it just broke my heart because when I read the report, I was just so terrified because it reminded me a lot of what happened to me. Um, and I've been sexually abused by the same person uh, many of times. And it just brought a lot back to myself. And I don't want to make this about myself and sound selfish, but that's how these abuse cases happen. I mean, it when someone is abused, it doesn't just end there. You have a lifelong amount of trauma that you have to work with and that you have to overcome. And 
you have to live with it and you have to learn how to cope with it, especially when stuff like this arises where it can trigger you. I mean, I feel so terrible for poor Kyle Beach because he has to live with the fact that his employer did this to him and it's really hard to avoid it because the Blackhawks are a household name. They're everywhere. They're in stores. They're on TV. Um, and he has to live with seeing them on TV. And that's such a, I don't even know how he copes with that because I don't know what I would do if I saw my abuser painted in a positive light, um, like the Blackhawks, the NHL, even abused him with the way that they mishandled this case. Um, and even Brad Aldrich in general, I mean, he was allowed to have his day with the cup um, where he, I think he also groped a 22 year old male intern. Um, so it didn't just stop with the two players. He also um, inappropriate, inappropriately touched an intern. So he just, did not care about what people's feelings or thoughts were. He just, if he wanted you, he was gonna go get you. And the fact that he was allowed to be celebrated, he was allowed to be par paraded, he was allowed to touch the Stanley Cup is disgusting. Um, and it's very hurtful for someone who is a victim to see that happen because then there are so many questions that you have to ask yourself, like, why is he even allowed this to happen? Why is he allowed all of this? Why, what is, why is he such a good person that he's allowed to have all of these positive things said about him when he did something so traumatic to me? It's not fair. That's and yeah, it's just it's really difficult to deal with abuse in general, but definitely sexual abuse because you have to really look within yourself and like work on yourself. So you're not constantly blaming yourself. And especially in the interview with Rick Westhead, when Kyle Beach said that he was sorry to the 16 year old, I just, like, I felt like he died inside. I was just so sad for him because it's not his fault and he should never blame himself. And the 16 year old should never blame themselves either. And any of his other victims that we don't even know about, because I'm not, I would not be surprised if there were a lot more than just who we know. Um, and it's none, it's none of their faults. The only ones who are at fault are the Chicago Blackhawks and the NHL. Yeah. Um, those are the only two that can take the blame for this. Cal Beach shouldn't. The other unnamed player who all, I think said that he refuses to come forward because he is dealing with such bad trauma that it's ruined a lot of friendships and it's ruined his marriage and that he cannot step forward and identify himself and he shouldn't have to yeah uh, that's all so well said gabby um and uh thank you for for sharing and in my in my 
haste to try and and deliver the timeline you know i, I it dawned on me that i didn't even describe the incident itself and again i do want to um you know provide a trigger warning to anyone um you know who's who's still listening uh it, you know this you know the the incident with kyle beach was prompted by the fact that again this was a 20 year old prospect trying to make his way onto the playoff roster and you had someone and i know people might say he's a video coach he's not joel quenville he's not uh you know he's not uh you know uh, stan bowman uh he's uh you know you know how much authority does a video coach have well when you are told and you know what brad aldrich told kyle beach was i can get you onto the playoff roster that is what he told him um you know come come over here you know uh, so supposedly was to to watch some film what it wound up be was um you know he turned on pornography and uh at that point began his advances and engaged in a in a, a sexual act you know when you are told by someone who is your superior someone who you have just been told hey i can get you onto on, onto the roster for the playoff run here uh, to pursue your dream you're you're a 20 year old kid what what exactly are you going to do you know what exactly are you going you know to 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 do and when you resist which uh, Kyle Beach supposedly did you're threatened with a baseball bat and and told, you know, I will ruin your life. I will ruin your career. You know, how anyone could think that that is the fault of this young man is just completely wacko. Uh, you know, how, how you could possibly think that this young man bears any responsibility. And when you have a group of supposedly a leadership council, uh, a general manager, a, a VP of hockey operations, a head coach, uh, you have these these men saying, "We're not going to deal with this because we want the focus to be on hockey." Uh, you know, we we just uh, advanced the Stanley Cup final. You know, we don't want to deal with the fact that uh, a member of our organization, uh, you know, at that point allegedly sexually assaulted, uh, you know, one of our players. That that boggles my mind. And yeah, like you said, Gabby. The responsibility lies with the men in that room and the men, uh, you know, involved in the National Hockey League uh, office and with the NHL Players Association and people like Donald Fear for not having the back of Kyle Beach and that those events transpiring, allowing the incident that happened um, at, uh, you know, hopefully nothing at Miami University of Ohio, but definitely in that high school um, in, uh, in Michigan uh, and anyone else who has been harmed by Brad Aldrich as a result. It's, it's just so disappointing. Um, Mike, I wanted to go to you next. Um, you know, just kind of the same, same deal. You know, what emotions does this uh, story invoke from you? Anything that, uh, that we've said as well um, that you'd like to respond to? I just am, I want to thank you all again for having this conversation and for opening this up, because I think that this in our small way and everyone else who's talking about this and sharing their stories and their feelings, this is the sort of thing that's going to prevent this from happening more in the future. I think that Gabby, you, you made reference to it and Mark as well about how it's, it's a myth that sexual assault rape is about sex itself. It's about power. 
It's about the power that a person has or believes that they have over their victim. And it's not necessarily about their sexual orientation or anything like that. It's about being in a position and trying to exert that power. And there's obviously a lot that goes into it behind that, why a person would feel that need for power. But the, the fact of the matter is, that's what this was. Uh, Aldridge was in a position where he could take advantage of Kyle Beach and all of these other young men um, who he's assaulted in his, in his time. And he used that. So that's the first thing that comes up to me is just that personification of that particular issue. Uh, and then it goes to the team, the, the Chicago Blackhawks, and just the, the lack of empathy, like we were talking before, for this young man who came to them with this issue, this very real traumatic issue. And not only did they fail him, but down the line, they failed countless others by protecting Aldrich, by allowing him to have his name on the Stanley Cup, by writing him recommendations and allowing him to go on to other positions where he was able to use this power. And, and I think as, a, as an aside from the law point of view, I think that's where they find themselves in trouble. And one of the reasons why those motions to dismiss weren't granted was by taking an active step after knowing this information, they made themselves more culpable down the line. So, you know, that's obviously the legal issue. So not quite exactly what we're talking about, but then not only protecting Aldrich, but also just the gaslighting that happened to Kyle Beach and to others. I think there was a quote I remember after the lawsuit was filed and this was before the full thorough investigation, they said, based on our investigation, we believe the allegations against the organization lack merit, and we are confident the team will be absolved of any wrongdoing. Now, they knew at that time what had happened, and they knew at that time who knew what. This didn't all come out in that investigation. They knew that. So it was a, an attempt to get ahead of the story to cast John Doe and all of the other victims as people who were just seeking money or seeking publicity or trying to tarnish a, a legacy when the reality of the situation at that point was they knew what they did. It's classic gaslighting. And it just shows a level of disrespect to Kyle Beach that is horrible to see. Mark, you talked about, I think it was Coach Quenville's quote about we just want to concentrate on hockey you know this is a distraction that's what this man's life was to them at that point it was a distraction to winning a single stanley cup and i think that it shows why survivors of sexual assault don't come forward because if this man who is at that time he's a, a phenomenal prospect he's up and coming he's he's um, you know, a, a strong young man, but he was too afraid to really go forward because he was crushed when he did. And so to expect him to have done something differently or to expect other people to come forward when they see the repercussions that happen time and time again, when survivors of assault come forward, it just shows that you're, 
you're not going to be protected, at least at this time. So that's why we need to have these conversations. We need to get this out there. We need to destigmatize it. It's, you know, and he was bullied in the report. He talks about how members of his team were calling him names because like they said, it was, it, it wasn't a secret. People knew what happened and they were, you know, they were calling his sexual orientation into question and they were, they were horrible to him. And that's the reality for survivors. And so I, I am so moved by any person who steps forward and tells the story of what they happen as what's happened to them, because it takes an enormous amount of strength and people who come forward need to be believed and they need to be protected. And it can't be something we just sweep under the rug. So more needs to come from the NHL. There needs to be a much stronger statement than, you know, Gary Bettman's fumbling press conference or a couple of quiet resignations. This is a cultural issue in the NHL and in society at large that needs to be addressed. We're not above it. We're not past it. Yeah, that's very, very well said, Mike. And the, the crux of what you brought up too is, you know, of why people don't want to come forward is think about it from another angle. The Blackhawks and part of the story that goes, you know, under that kind of goes understated, they ruined his career, not just due to that particular incident, but they buried him and didn't give him a chance to come up to the active roster in the, the years following that. He never made an impact with the Chicago Blackhawks at the NHL level, despite being a former first round pick because, and there's no evidence to support this at this time, but it's more than likely that not only did they do nothing to, uh, to you know, help him following the, this meeting of the, the leadership council, but he never cracked the roster. I know that at the time, that was an exceptional roster that won multiple Stanley Cups, but someone that talented to not only not get a shot at the NHL level with that team, but not be able to crack the NHL anywhere else and to be relegated to another country to continue playing hockey and try and make a living and chase his dream. I mean, they actively ruined his life. And if that doesn't show, show you exactly why victims don't come forward, what will, you know, it's just, it's just so awful that, you know, that his life was ruined. The lives of so many victims are completely altered and in some cases ruined by, uh, you know, by their, their abusers. And, you know, that's why, you know, I just do a hard eye roll at every single one of these statements that comes out from Joel Quenville, from, um, you know, Kevin Chevelle, uh, I'm just going to call him the Jets GM. I can't pronounce his name. Um, you know, from, from Gary Bettman, from Donald Fear, all these people who say in retrospect, oh my God, I, I feel so terrible for what happened. No, 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 no. You feel terrible that you got caught and that your public persona is now being called into question. You don't feel bad for Kyle Beach because you had an opportunity to stand up for him and all you thought of him was, was a distraction. And that is just, that's a systemic failure. That's a failure for all of those men as human beings. They have no empathy for someone because if that was your son, Joel Quenville, Gary Bettman, if that was your son, you would have moved heaven and earth to fix this situation for him. 
and to, uh, to make sure that people were held accountable. But because he wasn't your son, because he, apparently he wasn't uh, a key, more, enough of a key to your organization winning a Stanley Cup, you did nothing for him. So just absolutely, it just ma- it makes me so angry. Lauren, I know that it's been, uh, you've been sitting on the sideline for too long here. I wanted to, uh, to, you know, to go to you next and, and get your thoughts on, on this topic and uh, you know, whether it's something else that we mentioned or something else that we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, put me in coach. I'm ready. Um, you know, first thanks to Gabby and Mike just for, you know, your input and Gabby opening up about what happened to you. Cause that's incredibly triggering. Um, you know, it's, it's alarming that it's more than just like, Oh, uh, some black ace was hazed and it was just, you know, boys will be boys. Like this goes so far beyond just hazing and just like being silly with your teammates. Like this is sexual assault and for Kyle Beach to come forward and share his story is very brave and courageous and I know we spoke briefly last episode that we all hope that he didn't come forward because unfortunately it was pretty easy to target who it was um but I hope he did it because he wants to let people know they're not alone let people know that it's okay if you play a sport if you're a male that it's okay to feel your, your feelings that men also get sexually assaulted. And that I, I like that he went out and just threw the Blackhawks under the bus where he was like, there was no way that Jonathan Tabes didn't know. There's no way Patrick Kane didn't know. It was just like, I think he, obviously it's been what, 10, 11 years. He probably had so much bottled up. He's had to relive this trauma for so long where he was finally able to settle down and be able to share his story and he did it gracefully because I know if it was me, I would just be scorched earth. Um, and it was very emotional. And I know like reliving your trauma is obviously very, very emotional and can be very trying. Um, and it's just, you think back, things were so different 10 years ago, the way we spoke to people, the way like we looked at hazing and it, it goes, like I said, it goes so far beyond that. And the fact he went to higher ups and told them what happened And they made it seem like it was his fault. So he's carrying that burden. He's carrying what happened to him. And then he's like, oh man, what, what, what could I have done differently? And it's just like this, I mean, you guys all alluded to it, like this gaslighting and this manipulation. And it's just like, how do you reverse that kind of thinking when you think something is your fault? You know, you're 20 years old, you're trying to make it in the NHL. You're part of an incredibly likable, fun franchise. Like I had no issue with the, Bruins losing to the Blackhawks in 2013 because they were a great team. They were likable, um, save for Patrick Kane's like questionable decisions in some in a few years. But you know, you look at that team up and down, and you're like, this is a likable team. This is a fun team. This is they're fun to watch. And I'm just like, now I'm like, how do you sleep at night for 10 years knowing what you knew, knowing that something terrible happened to your teammate? Because if that was Patrick Kane. If that was Jonathan Tabes, if that was Joel Quenville, they wouldn't have been swept under the rug. You know, it would have been this big story. It would have been making headlines. We probably wouldn't be talking about it today because it probably would be in the past. It probably would be settled. The fact that it was a black ace, kind of an unknown kind of player, maybe someone who maybe wouldn't have made the NHL and would have spent a majority of his career in the AHL. Now we'll never know. Um, we don't know if this derailed his NHL career. I'm sure it did. And I'm sure that he had to try to find alternate routes because once you go to your employer and you don't have 
any trust in them. How do you trust anyone within that business? How do you not think that every other team is like that? Um, and Taylor Hall from the Bruins had a great, great statement on it, just saying that this needs to change. Hockey culture 100% needs to change. It's a boys club and it needs to stop because it's just, it's getting to be too much. And it starts, it starts now. And I really hope that Kyle Beach coming forward doesn't stop. I, I hope these conversations continue because we see a lot in these situations that you, these conversations are had for a little while and then all of a sudden they just stop. And so in order to end the stigma around everything, you need to continue to have these difficult conversations and conversations like this should not go away. If a settlement is reached, if, you know, Kyle Beach you know, somehow comes back to the NHL, if he wants to, if he takes a position within the NHL, these conversations do not stop just because Kyle Beach came forward. They have to continue to have these conversations. You have to have somebody that you can trust to go to that should be your higher ups, that should be your teammates because you're know your family your brothers you hear about the clubhouse culture how close these guys are and he felt confident enough going to somebody and being like hey this happened to me and they were just like get out of here like a i don't know if they said like no it didn't but they were just like they didn't do anything and when your team your family the people you spend so much of your time with on and off the ice when they're not helping you you must feel so so alone and so isolated and no wonder why people like you everyone's alluded to it no wonder why victims do not come forward because there's so much like can you prove it well this they said no well it's all he said she said and it's just like you have all this evidence coming forward you have all this evidence about Brad Aldrich just being a, a predator and just being a terrible human being and he was able to celebrate with the cup he was able to be around the team and I'm thinking like not even Kyle Beach watching him raise the cup but like you know, you have Joel Quenville, you have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tapes looking at him, acting like nothing happened. And you just, you know what happened, but how can you, how can you go on with your life? How can you sleep at night? And how can you be content going on for the last 10 years, knowing what happened and not doing one thing, not even offering support? Like if, you know, any other player was like, I tried to come forward as well. I was shut down. I tried to help him, but I was there for Kyle Beach throughout the last 10 years. Nobody did. And I think that's very telling of hockey culture. I think it's very telling of how secretive and how they're just the Blackhawks were like, keep this to ourselves. No, you know, no questions, kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And they were only thinking of themselves. They were thinking of the organization. They were thinking of just the individual, but they were never thinking of Kyle Beach, the one who was actually suffering. It was all like, oh, we can't ruin our image. We'll just let Kyle Beach ruin his image and maybe never play in a professional hockey game. So it's just, it's sickening. It's really frustrating to, to watch this because I know if this was my team, if this was the Bruins, if this was the Red Sox, I would just be in disbelief because it's like a team that can bring you so much happiness and you kind of, you know, you get to know these players through social media, through just press conferences. And you, you think like no one could be this vile. So it's disheartening in so many ways, but the fact that Kyle Beach felt so isolated from a professional hockey team is what like sticks out to me the most where I'm like, I've been part of sports teams. I played sports growing up. Like they were family. You spend so much time with them. You spend more time with them than your actual family. And to just be kind of shut out, like how does that affect him for the rest of his life? And these other people just don't care. It's very like the rest of our 
cast to that tonight, Lauren, just extremely well said and raw and, uh, and, you know, just pure emotion. And I, I, I thank you for it. I wanted to ask you what you thought of the, and what this happened within the last three days, the decision and the execution of crossing Brad Aldrich's name off the Stanley cup. And, and when I mean crossed out, I don't mean it was erased. There are a series of X's that have been put through Brad Aldrich's name that is honestly more noticeable than it's more, certainly more, more noticeable than removing it. It's more noticeable than just putting a strike through it. It's to the, it's, and if you look for, if you Google a picture of, 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 of this story, it's, from a distance, you can see something looks wrong with that 2010 Blackhawks uh, portion of the Stanley Cup, where your eyes are drawn to it. And you will see, if you look hard enough, you'll see the name Brad Aldrich with a bunch of X's through it. And that almost serves as, I don't want to call it a symbol or a metaphor, but it, it's, it's basically living proof that you cannot sweep this story under the rug anymore. This will always be a point of conversation because anytime someone goes look at the Stanley Cup who might not know this story, they'll say, what's this, what's this here? Why is this crossed out? You know, it's, it's basically a permanent scar on the Stanley Cup. And I wanted to know what uh, your Lauren and, and everyone else's thoughts were on, obviously that's not the solution to, uh, to, to, you know, this story is, oh, well, his name's removed from the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, uh, problem solved. But it's, that feeling that it's a permanent scar almost serves as, as impetus to take more action. I think it's a good first step. I think that it's the first of many. I think it's a small first step, but that's that's how it starts, right? You need to get you need to take one step to further this. Um, I do think it's kind of damning that they made it so obvious because, and I know nothing about Stanley Cup engraving or anything, but I feel like they could easily like laser out his name maybe and just not make it so obvious. I don't know. Maybe they wanted to make it obvious, but I mean, like you said, Mark, you can see that thing from a mile away. Like it's, you know, that something, a name was there and that it's crossed off. And I think it's also showing that the NHL will take your name off the cup. Um, it doesn't matter what position you hold. I think there are more names to go. I, you know, I don't know if the team should be stripped of the Stanley cup because I don't know if every single person knew and is that fair to like a rookie on that team? But then again, you think, is it fair to Kyle Beach to have all those names on that cup? And he's got to live with that forever. Um, but I think it's a great first step. I think there's more to go. And, you know, I want to say 10 years too late, but this is when the story's coming to light. And I want to believe that the NHL can change. And I want to believe that they will support Kyle Beach. And this is part of how you do it. And you need to show that you don't condone sexual predators you don't condone sexual assault and that you will stand by your players doesn't matter if they're a black ace it doesn't matter if they're someone like a Patrick Kane's caliber or they're a Patrice Bergeron or some big name in the league you have to do what's best for you know yourself you have to do what's best for the victim and the survivor and you have to do like just what's morally right so it's, it's a really good first step like I said there is more to go but for right now, Brad Aldrich, his name's off the cup. And I hope that brings Kyle Beach some sort of peace or at least just some sort of like content where he's like, ah, like good, get his name off the cup. He doesn't deserve it. Um, and this is, this is something we're gonna read about for a very long time. This story is 
you know, it's, it's not just going to go away. So let's, let's keep it going. Let's, let's get Joel Quenville's name off the cup. And then, and I'm sure that that goes into more questions, like how many times is his name on the cup that it's got to come off, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, just do, it's not that hard to do the right thing just because it's just, cause it's not easy. You, you have to do the right thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, Gabby, I wanted to hear from you as well. Just uh, again, admittedly a very small step, uh, you know, removing Brad Aldrich's name from the cup, but you know, something that could hopefully start something and be a permanent reminder, you know, what, what were your thoughts on, uh, on this decision and the execution of it this week? Um, I thought that it was the right thing to do. I don't think that lasering his name or just erasing his name off of the cup would have been right because for people in the future who do not know about this story, they will not see his name. Therefore, they won't know why this happened or they won't know the story behind it. And like you said, Mark, by his name being crossed out and having it look so obvious, they're going to ask questions and even kids are going to ask like their, their parents, you know, why is there exes over this person's name? Um, obviously to a kid, you don't want to explain that, but just to someone who doesn't know, you're going to open up Google and you're going to say, why is there exes, excuse me, why are there exes over a name on the 2010 Stanley Cup? And then all of that's going to pop up and then you're going to say, whoa, that I didn't even know that could happen, but it does happen. And the X's should remain there just for that fact alone, because Kyle Beach has to live with this for the rest of his life. And it is the least that the team and the executives and the NHL can hold as a, as a burden because now that will always be on the Stanley Cup. That will always be a part of the Hockey Hall of Fame where it's going to remain there forever and everybody is going to know about this story forever and it's going to continue to be talked about. So I think it should remain there. Yeah, very well said, Gabs. Uh, and Mike, again, same to you. Uh, and you know what other, what other natural steps following the removal of Brad Aldrich's name, do you think the National Hockey League should take? Because, uh, uh, you know, as of this week, this is really the only thing that's been done other than, you know, embarrassing press conferences where Gary Bettman can't even commit to uh, to supporting the now 24-year-old, uh, was 16-year-old, uh, who was also uh, allowed to, uh, who's, uh, you know, suffered abuse from Brad Aldrich as a result of, of the NHL and the Blackhawks' actions. So again, I agree completely with my line mates. I think that uh, one of the things that I say the most when it comes to situations like this is that it's more important how you react to a, a scandal than the scandal itself. And I think that that shows in the Blackhawks, the NHL, everybody. When something came forward, they could have done the right thing in 2010, 2011, they could have done the right thing then, and they didn't. They decided to bury it under the rug. They decided to close their eyes and pretend that it didn't exist. And it went on and it happened to more and more people. And like we've all said, it ruined Kyle Beach's career. It ruined his life in certain ways. And he's been dealing with that for the last 10 years. I think that 
it's important to take responsibility for your actions and for how your actions have impacted other people, even if it wasn't necessarily your intent to bury Kyle Beach. And I think just like Gabby was saying and Lauren before her, that that X, those X's on the Stanley Cup are going to serve as a and as a lesson to a lot of people. And it's not shying away from history. My, uh, my partner and I, we watch a show NBC called American Ninja Warrior. It's one of our favorite shows for a while. And they had a champion, a person who won a million dollars on the show or, you know, something like that, who in between the seasons was basically arrested after an investigation into soliciting underage people to have sex, you know, and, and having sex with and child born and all of these horrible things. And what they did was they literally just raised him from the episodes. They didn't say a word about it. They didn't tell people why their favorite star was gone. He was just erased from the episodes overnight. And now obviously people did Google it because they were like, what the hell happened to this guy? But it's just, it just shows that you're not trying to have an honest conversation about what's going on and the realities that people face every single day when you just sweep them under the rug and you just think, if I close my eyes to it, it's not there anymore. So this, this will stand as a reminder. And then the, the second question you asked, there's a lot of steps that need to be taken that need to be taken because so many people drop the ball here. And I think the first step is just having an open and on, honest conversation about how this happens and ha giving safe spaces for people to come forward and be believed and have their, their um, comments actually treated with respect and, you know, obviously a zero, zero tolerance policy for any type of treatment like this and just more education on that this can happen to anybody and it's not just sexual assault there's a lot of other um parts of the culture of sports that needs to be corrected or changed and i think that more input from you know people outside of the the little boy you know the the men's club, the boys club, whatever you call, you know, people call it locker room, boys being boys, whatever, you know, that, that idea, just more um, input and, and feed in buy-in from other people to really show that hockey is for everyone. And that's, I mean, that's just, that's just the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. And to that end, a name that has, you know, largely escaped criticism you know, it's been brought up a couple of times, but, you know, for the most part, you know, he has not really been the focus of the story. And, and that's, you know, former MLB uh, Player Association Director, current NHL PA uh, Director Donald Fear. Quite frankly, and, you know, I, I don't think this is a hot take. I think that Donald Fear needs to be fired from, the, uh, from leading the Players Association. I don't know the process for that. Um, I know, you know, in the National Football League, uh, you know, Demory Smith is you know, reelected by player representatives every year. I don't know if the same process is followed in the NHLPA, uh, if, uh, if they can, you know, fire, uh, you know, the head of the NHLPA at any given time. Uh, I don't know if it needs to be, you know, taken to a vote or whatever, but Donald Fear was in place uh, in 20, 2010 when, uh, when this happened. 
Uh, it has been well chronicled if you read the report and uh, and you know articles since then that uh, that you know he basically again this is someone who is supposed to have you know you would think that the NHL uh, you know you know teams and in league office you know would uh, you know have the best interest of NHL players in mind it's clear that they don't but you would think that the head of the players association first priority would be the player well Kyle Beach was not an NHL player at that time so as a result Donald Fear didn't ha- didn't want any- anything to do with him you know he he took a phone call he referred uh, Kyle Beach to a uh, to a, a psychologist supposedly and then never followed up you know he did not have the best interest of a hockey player in mind due to a technicality. So I think that if there's another head to roll, it should be Donald Fear. I think that the NHLPA needs to, uh, you know, elect a new director. I think that they need to have a system in place so that players, as soon as they're part of an organization, NHL or not, you know, once they're a draft pick, they're a prospect, they're playing somewhere else. Once they're a member of your organization, they need to be protected. They need to have their interests looked out for. You know that so that uh, players association needs to be reformed, and you know, player, uh, you know, player representatives from each team, they need to take it upon themselves to make sure that this serves as a, a lesson, and that this does not happen ever again. It, not even something to this degree, but mistreatment of players, wrongdoing of any kind, does not happen again as a result of negligence. So you need to you need to completely overhaul the NHLPA, in my opinion. That's just something that I, I believe to be the case. Um, and I wanted to you know go around to my line mates again to see if they had any ideas for you know possible next steps uh, that stuck out to them or just anything that they want to get off their chest about this case that, that hasn't come up yet. Um, so Lauren, I want to start with you. Yeah, I think you know, there's a lot to change. And I think it starts now. I think that's active steps need to be taken. And maybe they are, you know, we're not behind the scenes. But I think you need to listen to people like Taylor Hall. He's a a star in this league. And when somebody is coming out, I mean, he already spoke out against Buffalo and the Jack Eichel situation. And then he's like, he's not afraid to say what's on his mind. He's not afraid to say what needs to change. And you need to listen to someone like him because that is somebody not only with like a good head on their shoulders, but has the other, has the other people in mind, has the victims and the survivors in mind, and he will put them first. You need to put, you know, him in charge of the NHLPA or, you know, like you said, it, it needs a complete overhaul. Donald Fear needs to go. Gary Bettman needs to go. He's needed to go for several reasons, but now this is just, this is like, this catapults that to the top of the list of why he needs to go. Um, you know, it, is it an overhaul of the of the commissioner, of the deputy commissioner? Yes, I think you need younger people in there as well who maybe understand the situation a little bit more, who have more of a grip on it. Um, because, you know, it's, you think of how old Gary Bettman and Donald Fear are, and it's just like, oh, this stuff didn't happen when I was younger. It's just like, they move on because men are men and boys will be boys and blah, blah, blah. It's like that mentality needs to change. And it needs to change with the proper leaders. So there needs to be some sort of, of overhaul. There needs to be players who genuinely want change, like more Taylor Halls, more Patrice Bergerons. He's not a vocal person at all, but he and Brad Marchand's like, you need those kinds of guys 
to speak out. You need those kinds of guys to step up and be like, this is wrong. And I mean, I don't think if anything like that happened in the Bruins locker room, I mean, you would just think, <laughs> I think, I feel like Brandon Carlo would just go over and knock the person straight out. Like it was just, you have good guys on the Bruins team and you, you would think that how likable the Blackhawks were, you would hope that that would be the case there. You just, I mean, there's no vetting process for does this person belong in the NHL? Um, but I think a, a sexual assault needs to be taken more seriously. I think mental health needs to be taken more seriously. You see it more and more. You see the, this whole Evander Kane situation. You've seen other players get into uh, situations. Carrie Price, you entered the player's um, protocol program. The, I don't want to call it the mental health program, but um, you know he's in there. And it's, you need, you know, the, the way that you support Carrie Price, you need to support Kyle Beach because you need to be able to support your players across the board. You need to be able to make them feel safe. How does that happen? Because you're, you're supposed to have these, these outlets and these people to help. Do you need to get some sort of psychiatrist, a therapist, or like a team mentor or someone like that who can be trustworthy and you know will help you? Um, I think it's going to be a lengthy process. There's so many things to, to work out. There's so many people to fire. And there's so many people that you need to talk to to be able to see who's right to be able to hold kind of power in this league in order to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again. Yeah, very, very well said, Lauren. And, and, and not even in this segment, you mentioned something when you were speaking a little bit earlier uh, in passing that I just thought was a tremendous idea. And that is, you know, what about finding a position for Kyle Beach in the Players Association? Um, whatever role that may be, I, I, I don't know. But who, what better of a voice for players than someone who was let down so horribly by this system, you know, what better, uh, you know, who's someone who's most likely to advocate tirelessly uh, for y- young players than someone who, uh, who knows how it feels to be let down. Um, so uh, I, I think that that would be tremendous if, uh, you know, the, the NHL players were able to find a position for Kyle beach so that he can make a difference. Uh, you know, he's already making a difference by coming forward, sharing his story, and, you know, shedding so much light on something that has a traumatic effect on him. But, uh, you know, he could do more good in the future uh, in a position where he has some sort of authority. Um, so I would love to see something like that happen. Um, Gabby, I wanted to, uh, to check with you next, um, you know, just uh, same topic that we floated to Lauren, you know, what other steps do you think need to be taken to, again, you know, change hockey culture, make sure that it's not just, oh, you know, time has passed since this story. Uh, we'll go back to the status quo and just hope that nothing ever happens again or that people aren't caught again. You know, what needs to actually change to make sure that uh, that hockey is for everyone, as Lauren uh, put it? Um, yes, thank you. Um, I wanted to share a story that may help frame the whole Kyle Beach thing, considering that I was a fan during this time and I followed the team this particular team very closely I even met Kyle Beach um, at the Blackhawks convention that that following summer um, when I met him I was very excited to meet him because I I knew all the prospects and he was a first round pick and at the time he was highly regarded and uh, he was very friendly 
Um, I wouldn't expect him not to be, but um, he was very friendly. So I wouldn't have known that he was dealing with something. I mean, for some people, they will wear their emotions on their sleeve and they, if they're dealing with something really heavy, they will appear very dejected or they just may not seem in the mood. But for him, dealing with something like this, I never would have known when I met him. It was very brief, but I just wouldn't have known. He was very, he's very smiley, very happy, very friendly. Um, so aside from that, I followed the team very closely. And I believe Kyle Beach was with the organization for maybe four or five years after that Stanley Cup team. And um, I would go to training camps. I would like read about the Blackhawks um, offseason moves and preseason stuff. And I always wondered why Kyle Beach was not panning out. And I would always talk to my dad, like, what is going on with him? He's a first round pick. He should be ready to join the team. What is going on with him? And my dad's like, yeah, I don't know, Gabby, this, this, this sucks. Maybe he's just not a good player. It sucks that we lost out on a first round pick, but like no one knew that these behind the scenes issues were affecting his play. Um, year after year, when he was with the team, his on ice performance was being chalked up as character issues, character issues. And I thought that was kind of ridiculous because he didn't seem like someone who would just, um, you know, take his off the ice issues and bring them on the ice. He it just didn't seem like that. I don't know who he is and I didn't know who he was at that time, but it just seemed kind of odd to me. But it was just year after year. He has character issues. He may not pan out in the NHL because he can't get it straight. Um, so I thought that was really unfortunate, but now in 2021, knowing what we know now, it's glaringly obvious what was going on and why he didn't pan out in the NHL because he couldn't. Um, so for what can be done, um, I think players, especially with that team, more of them need to hold themselves accountable. Um, there were two players specifically named in the report, and Kyle Beach also mentioned it in his interview. Um, two defensemen on the 2010 team, Brent Sopel and Nick Boyton, were a part of the investigation. They corroborated their stories with Kyle Beach's, and Kyle Beach said that that meant the world to him because he didn't know them personally. He does not have their cell phone numbers, he does not talk to them regularly. And for them to say, yeah, I knew this, this happened. The locker room was, this was being talked about in the locker room. This was being said for them to say that and for them to cooperate their stories. So he doesn't look like a liar or he doesn't look like he's overreacting to something. Uh, it means a lot. And I definitely agree for People to kind of make up excuses as to why this happened to you is incredibly insulting. And it does alienate you. It does make you feel alone um, because you feel like you can't talk to anybody because they're just gonna shoot you down or they're just gonna toss you aside. 
So players need to hold themselves accountable, whether they don't want to disrespect the Blackhawks organization. They already did it to themselves. So just by owning up to it and saying, yeah, I knew about this. It's this was said. And um, if more and more and more of them do it, and if the players who were making fun of him want to own up to what they said, that would also be wonderful. Um, and the NHL, specifically the NHL PA, Donald Fear, um, if there is a way to remove Donald Fear from his position, that would be awesome. Because we do not know how many players Donald Fear has failed because we have seen players die from substance abuse issues. We've seen players die from suicide, from CTE. Dan Carcillo, who was a massive advocate for CTE awareness and research within the NHL because they were dealing with a lot of issues in the league. Um, I think Derek Bogard um, was a player who killed himself as a result of CTE. Steve Montador was another player who had a lot of CTE issues and he also took his own life. Um, and we don't know if Donald Fear contributed in that because they may have gone to him asking for resources on how to help them with the issues that they were struggling with. And he may have done the same thing that they, uh, he did to Kyle Beach. He may have said like, well, here's a therapist that you can see, maybe they can help you. And he doesn't follow up. Um, I don't want to say that is what he did because we don't know and we may never know, but I find it hard to believe that Kyle Beach was the only player whose issues he's disregarded. If he took this information and mishandled it that poorly, it's, I find it hard to believe that um, he could have done that to just one person. Um, and I also hope that the NHL offers a position to Kyle Beach in the future. Um, I don't think that he should have to accept it if he doesn't want to, because they are, are culpable in this abuse. They did um, enable this abuse to be brushed under the rug. And I would totally understand if he doesn't want to be a part of the NHL anymore because they hurt him. And um, also if like, former players on the Blackhawks want to reach out to him. I also do not fault him for not wanting to speak to them. There was one person on social media that asked a question like, does Jonathan Taves not have a cell phone? Why doesn't he just reach out to Kyle Beach himself? Well, I don't want to make excuses for Jonathan Taves, but maybe he did. Um, and maybe Kyle Beach had no interest in talking to Jonathan Taves or Patrick Kane directly because speaking from a personal perspective if my abuser called me tomorrow and apologized for everything that he did to me I would have no interest in listening to anything that he has to say because I was 20 years old as well when my first contact with my abuser happened and we're now in 2021, so it's about seven years later for me. 
if he wanted to own up to his mistakes seven years later, I would say like, I don't care. I don't care what you have to say. You can just end this phone call right now because I have a lot of shit that I have to work through as a result of that person. I mean, I don't know Kyle Beach. I don't know anything about him. And hearing about this story, reading it, I had a panic attack because it reminded me so much of my own abuse. So for someone who has no personal relationship with the focal point of the story, that's how bad abuse can affect people, whether it's sexual abuse, emotional abuse, any type of abuse, it affects people for such a long time. And it can trigger people in such weird ways that I was just thinking about what was going on with Kyle Beach and I felt so bad that I had a panic attack and I had to pull over on the side of the road and call my fiance and say like, I, I'm, I, this is really hard for me to deal with. Um, and I have to do a lot of work on myself so I don't come home and affect my relationship because it's not my fiance's fault that I was abused when I was 20 years old. I didn't know my fiance at that time and it should not affect my relationship with him. And it sucks that I have to do all of these coping mechanisms and these preventative measures so I don't affect my relationship with my family and my friends because of what one person did. And it sucks. It really sucks. <laughs> um, just to put it lightly, it's just not fun to deal with. And the NHL needs to do a better job on holding people accountable because there's a lot of issues going on in the NHL. You see with Buffalo, um, Robin Leonard has spoken out about his experiences with substance abuse issues and how this is an issue going on in the NHL and that the NHL doesn't really do anything about this. Um, and he went on a huge Twitter rant and I saw a lot of people were like, oh my God, this dude's fucking crazy. Um, no, he's not crazy because this is a big issue. Jimmy Hayes just passed away because of a substance abuse issue. And maybe the NHL knew about it and maybe they just didn't do enough for him. I don't know, but clearly the NHL is not absolved of um, controversies and they need to open up a safe space for their players. And maybe Donald Fear is not that guy. I don't know if he himself should just um, step in front of the bullet and just step down because he is not looking good at all. And Gary Bettman, <clears throat> Gary Bettman as well. I mean, I've had a lot of issues with Gary Bettman and how he handles the NHL. Um, but he should also step down and anyone else front office wise, who's holding a position of authority in the NHL currently, they also need to step down because they should not have any influence on any current or future players. Um, so really anyone who is related to this story, they need to just step down because Kevin shovel day off told Gary Bettman himself, that he was in the room when this conversation was happening and he lied in a press conference and said that he didn't know anything about it, but he told Gary Bettman to his face that he did know. 
Even though he was not named in the report, doesn't mean that he is absolved of a crime. And even if he didn't, wasn't directly related to it, his lack of actions also speak volumes. Him not doing anything to help Kyle Beach, when he was an assistant general manager, he held a high position of authority and he still didn't do anything. That speaks volumes. So they all need to go. If we want to see healing happen, they all need to go. Yeah, very, very well said, Gabby. And thank you for being so open. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, uh, especially given, um, you know, your background. So, yeah, uh, sometimes a good house cleaning is one of the best steps that can be taken. And, and uh, in the case of a lot of the men that you mentioned, I don't think that they are people who will step down. I think that, uh, that that's something that the owners of the 32 NHL teams need to take into their own hands um, with them running the league um, and, and, you know, dismissing Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. Um, again, the NHL players, I believe, would be the ones in charge of relieving Donald Fear of his duties. Uh, so, you know, let's see if, uh, if you know, people will, uh, who have the ability to make these decisions uh, can, can give people the house cleaning that, that, that they need. So, uh, but yeah, thank you again, Gabby. And uh, Mike, uh, I wanted to, uh, to extend this to you as well. And uh, any lingering thoughts on this case um, that, uh, that you want to share or any, uh, any last thoughts that you had? Yeah, I'll, I'll be quick. Uh, Gabby, you just summed up so much in, in that amount of time. That was fantastic. In the short time that I've been involved with this show, we've talked about a number of people many of whom you just mentioned, uh, who have been failed by the higher-ups in this league. I can think of Derek Bogart, Jimmy Hayes, um, Mark Pavlich. We talk about the injuries to people, um, you know, at the hands of people like Tom Wilson. Uh, we talk about Mark Savard on this show. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's George Paros, it's Donald Fear, it's Gary Bettman. It's, it's a culture in the NHL that wants this to be that old timey tough man sport. And it is literally killing people and it has to stop. The culture has to change. And I just say, you did, you mentioned Kane and Taves a little bit and Lauren, you mentioned Taylor Hall's comments. So the last thing that I would say on this particular topic, going back to the beginning about empathy and trying to put yourself in other people's shoes and I think that's the difference you saw in the response to this situation from Kane and Taves and someone like Taylor Hall, who Kane and Taves were just looking at someone like Stan Bowman, who was instrumental to their coming up in the league and weren't able to initially get past their own experiences and said, oh, well, he was such a nice guy to me. He did so, so much good for me that in that moment, they forgot, I would say, what's what the situation they were in and that I think that their comments at that time did more harm than good whereas someone like Taylor Hall or, or other people who have come out since then saying this culture has to change now maybe they've gone through something similar maybe they haven't but they're able to put themselves in that situation to the best of their ability have some empathy or just sympathy and say regardless of how I've been treated as a heart trophy winner as you know, a, a star in this league, 
I know that the league that that I'm in needs to change. And I think that that's important for all of us to um, to take into account after this. Yeah, that's very well said, Mike. And on that note, that's actually very much related to what my final thoughts were uh, regarding this case. And, and, you know, we mentioned hockey culture several times during this episode and hockey culture does not start at the professional level. You know, hockey culture starts at youth hockey and it goes up to, uh, to, you know, middle school and high school teams and, you know, club teams, select teams, uh, you know, collegiate hockey, uh, you know, semi-pro men's leagues, uh, you know, hockey culture being changed starts at a very, very early time. And when I was in youth hockey, I had a coach who, when we were being coached, would use certain terms or slurs to describe certain players. And at the time I thought nothing of this, uh, you know, th- this wasn't something that in- affected me, uh, wasn't anything I repeated either, but, uh, you know, it was like, oh yeah, that's, that's coach. Uh, I'll just refer to him as coach C. Uh, that's coach C just, uh, trying to get the, the best out of us. No, what he did was wrong and that impacted other behaviors. And I would hear the different things that people would say on the ice, uh, you know, just meant to be chirping or insults. You know, we started the show by saying, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes or in this case, someone else's skates. You know, you cannot use, you know, let's just say the F word in this case as an insult because someone missed the net and think that it's okay. That's something that is done in youth hockey. It's done in high school hockey. It's done. uh, It was done to Kyle Beach. Changing hockey culture starts at the very earliest age. So if you are listening to this and you happen to be involved in youth hockey as a coach, uh, if you have a, you know, a kid playing in youth hockey, take this to heart. Changing hockey culture starts with setting a good example at a very young age so that you know, these you know, young men and women who are uh, growing up and playing hockey don't inf- continue to infect hockey culture because we're seeing the worst of it with this Blackhawk story at the NHL level, but it is not only an NHL problem. It starts at the very bottom and it works its way up. So if you want to affect change in hockey culture, please remember that and please coach your children to be empathetic, to be kind, to be competitive, but to be, you know, me, uh, you know, not mean spirited. Uh, and, and, you know, that will help them as people it'll help them as players. And that's what I wanted to convey here is, Hockey culture transforming starts at all different levels. Um, so that was pretty much what I had to say on, on hockey culture. And it just pains me as someone who loves this sport so much to have to continue to talk about stuff like this because it, uh, it won't change. So it's just, it's just a real shame. I want to just add to that, Mark, that my fiance, Derek, was a hockey kid growing up. Uh, most of his brothers were, if not all of them. And, you know, even to this day, he'll look back and be like, how did coaches talk to us that way? How were like the things that were said, let it just like slide. Um, and we've, you know, we've made a pact. We want to have kids in the future. We were both athletes growing up. So chances are our child is going to be an athlete. And, you know, we've already decided that whether they're an athlete or not, like they are going to know what is wrong from right what 
even if they start playing hockey at like four years old, like there's not going to be any hate distilled in my children because the things that Derek heard when he was a, a child playing hockey in the late nineties and early two thousands into high school. Um, we don't want our kids like repeating that stuff. And like you said, Mark, it starts from the bottom up and it just, it just takes one thing to just kind of change that culture. And it needs to start. You hear about uh, rough shortages because just parents are mean and it goes, you know, you don't want your kid to see that because your kid is going to see your parents saying things, doing things. And it's like, oh, it's going to be fine because mom and dad are saying those things. Um, so to hear Derek talk about like his experiences growing up playing hockey and just kind of taking what he went through and making sure our kids don't hopefully do not even try to get involved in any of that and try to and know that they need to stick up for themselves and stick up for their teammates. Um, it's just, it's so crazy to me that hockey culture is so toxic and that the sooner we can change it, the better it's going to be. Yeah, very, very well said, Lauren. Uh, thank you for that. Um, on that note, would you like to share uh, with our listeners where you can be found online? You can find me on Twitter at, and across social media at la 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 Lauren, three laws, Lauren with four R's. All of my work can be found on messin.com as well as you can hear me hosting the Lockdown Red Sox podcast Monday through Friday. Lauren is always so busy. She always finds time for us. We love her so much. Um, and uh, thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing. And please support all of Lauren's work uh, for, for Nesson, for Lockdown Red Sox. Uh, I'm sure she's going to have a lot of baseball news to talk about here. Not all good news, unfortunately. Labor shortage, uh, you know, labor potential uh, stoppage. So uh, she'll have plenty to talk about. Uh, our guest this evening, Gabby, uh, can you share with our listeners where you can be found online, where else they can listen to you? Oh, yes. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate sharing my story and just talking about this story as well. It's very important. So I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Um, as for myself, if you want to talk to me personally about anything, you can find me on Twitter at MoneybagsGabs. Um, and I also host the True Crime and Chill podcast. We have a Twitter account that is at chill underscore true. Um, I also have a TikTok for the <laughs> True Crime show. It that is at moneybagsgabs. I haven't changed. It's like almost all true crime. I just haven't changed the handle. So that's at moneybagsgabs. I hope to be back real soon. There's a lot of important court cases going on that I'm following very closely. So I hope to be back soon and talk about everything in the world of true crime. Yeah. And if you're new to, uh, you know, if you haven't listened to Gabby's show before, all of her old episodes uh, are on there as well. She was able to save them from before we switched platforms. So uh, there's a ton of great stuff that you can listen to on there. Uh, so if you're a true crime junkie, definitely uh, give Gabby a listen. Uh, Mike, my friend, where can all of our listeners find you online? Where else can they listen to you? You can find me on social media at Mike Roderick SD. Roderick is R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K. I'm also hosting a new podcast here on FTF Media called Track and Shield. We just dropped our third episode last week. Uh, broke down the budget deficit. Such an exciting topic, but we actually tried to make it kind of fun. Um, but basically just talking about 
issues that are facing us uh, coming out of Washington and state capitals and how they affect us, but trying to do it without a lot of the spin. Uh, so it's kind of fun. You can find that at Track Shield on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Yeah, it, it, they did put a fun spin on it. I listened. So, uh, yeah, de definitely give uh, Track and Sheila a listen. Uh, you know, always important to be able to, you know, listen and, and hear about the issues that are affecting us uh, without, you know, biases one way or the other and actually learn what something means. So a uh, very important show to have around. Uh, as for myself, I can be found on Twitter at Mark Pacelli13. That is P-I-S-E-L-L-I. -L -L -I. I'm sounding like a broken record at this point, but we will be bringing views from the rafters back next week. Uh, we continue to have scheduling issues, but we are going to be back talking NBA basketball uh, with Abe and Islam next week. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, again, we do intend to bring back our uh, wonderful nerd pod program uh, once we can clear up some, uh, some, uh, some scheduling things there. Listen, it's a busy time for everybody. So uh, we are, we're hoping to uh, get back with some great content for you. So uh, nerd pod views from the rafters. Uh, we're hoping to have back uh, in syndication soon, you know, nationally syndicated. Uh, that'd be the dream. Um, but uh, again, that's uh, P I S E L L I. Uh, you can find me on Twitter talking about uh, why the Patriots will not be claiming Odell Beckham on waivers. That's my official take at this moment. Um, but that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Um, again, a topic that we really wanted to make sure that we discussed at length and uh, you know gave proper respect to the topic and uh, and the victims um, of this story and if you know someone who is a hockey fan who you know wants to be able to listen to people to talk about this in depth please you know share our podcast uh, with other hockey fans in your life uh, we will be back talking about some awesome stuff uh, next week we'll be announcing the winner of our giveaway uh, so, uh, you know, definitely uh, give us a listen next week as well. But that's going to do it for tonight's episode. And until the next time we all get together, enjoy the action on the ice, everybody.